Welcome to our podcast series on the book of Ephesians. We are looking at some of the great themes of this really important epistle written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, if you've been following along, we've been sort of tracing some of the important things that we find in this letter. And one of the main things we see is the centrality of grace, that this is about the riches of God's grace. And God's grace is his response of love in light of our sin. So in chapter one, the Apostle Paul begins, and remember he's writing from prison to uh, send a letter to circulate around a bunch of churches, not just Ephesus, and he's, he's writing to bless God. He's writing to bless God for giving us access to all the spiritual blessings of heaven in Jesus Christ, that we're redeemed, that we are uh, forgiven of our sins, that we are adopted to his family, that we're predestined to, for uh, an inheritance, that we are sealed with his Holy Spirit, which is a mark, a down payment of that future inheritance. All of these things are promises to God's people, which he has lavished upon us, not based upon any goodness in us, not based upon any potential that God sees in us, but merely out of his goodness. God in his goodness wants to do this for us. So salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the classic Protestant banner. But we also see that the reality of our salvation is shown more clearly when we recognize what we were saved from. And so in Ephesians chapter two, we realize that we were enslaved to our sinful desires, following the course of this world, following Satan's designs and schemes encapsulated in the way the world works, valuing the things that are against God. And we're enslaved in that to the point where the only hope we have, since we are, as Paul says, dead in our trespasses, unable to muster in ourselves any spiritual life, we require God himself out of his mercy to make us alive together in Christ. And not only does it make us alive together in Christ, he, he forgives our sins, he frees us from bondage to slavery to sin, and then as the church, he elevates us, he exalts us to be in the heavenly places with Christ so that our citizenship is not of this world, but with Jesus Christ. There's a future victory that he promises his church. And he also has given us good works to perform in the meantime that flow out of this new life that God has given us by grace in Christ. But it's not just a vertical thing. This is not just about reconciliation with us and God, but also reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, between two people groups, once separated by the dietary laws and circumcision and the rituals that God had enforced over ethnic Israel. That was only for a period of time. It was always meant to be temporary. Those divisions were meant to just serve the purpose of preserving Israel until the coming of Jesus Christ. And now that Jesus Christ has come, those dividing walls that distinguished Jew and Gentile are now removed. Jews are still Jews and Gentiles are still Gentiles, but there's a deeper unity in Christ that unites them. So now those ethnic divides have been removed. That's why Paul says, we by one spirit have access to the Father. Gentiles who were once not a part of Israel have become a part of this new Israel, which is the church formed in Jesus Christ. And in the church, the Holy Spirit dwells and builds us into a dwelling place for God himself. So this new creation of Jew and Gentile united together because of their unity in Christ forms a new community, a new humanity where God dwells. 
So the horizontal element and the vertical element can't be separated. Because we are individually united to Christ, we are also horizontally united to those who are also united with Christ, despite ethnic divisions, because we have a deeper unity that reaches underneath it to unite us together by the Spirit of God. Now, Ephesians 3 comes right off the heels of that because Paul is going to explain what he calls the mystery of the gospel. This is what is the heartbeat of his ministry, that he is a steward of this, of this mystery. And we're going to learn exactly what that is. So there's really three parts to what Paul's going to say. First, he's going to say that he's a prisoner for Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. Second, he's going to say that he is, by God's gracious power, a preacher of the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. And finally, because he has been empowered by God and entrusted with the mystery of Christ, he bows his name before the Father, who is the Father of all people. And I'm going to explain a little bit more why that's significant. Let's start with the first one. Paul opens up, and I'm going to read uh, this section with a call to understand his role in God's redemptive purposes. Okay, so I'm going to actually read all of chapter 3 and we'll break this down. This is Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's just pause right there for a moment. I want you to notice a couple things. First, Paul views himself as a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Rome. Now, without a doubt, he recognizes he is in a Roman prison. But he relativizes Rome's control over him because he recognizes his citizenship in the kingdom of God. Ultimately, his stint in prison is not a prisoner of, of Rome, but a prisoner of Christ. He's doing this out of service for Christ on behalf of the Gentiles, the nations. And his mission to the Gentiles is this stewardship of God's grace. that God has given him a specific grace by revealing to him the mystery that was hidden from generations past, but now revealed to the apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, this mystery we, we find out in verse 6 is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, because the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been broken, Gentiles are now part of God's people. Gentiles, by the Spirit, now inherit all that was promised to Israel and inherit all the promises that Jesus Christ promises in the gospel. Now, the reason this is a mystery is not because it was not there in the Old Testament. So when we read the Old Testament, we find that God told Abraham, the father of the Jews, that through your family, you're going to bless the nations. And we also see that uh, in various parts of the Old Testament, that Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of God. Do you think about Rahab? who was a Gentile. Uh, you, you think about all of the nations that bring tribute, the, the king of Tyre who brings tribute to Solomon's uh, castle or uh, 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 temple and, and his kingdom. You think about all of the Gentile allies that 
uh, come alongside Israel. And you start to see that God always had a purpose for the nations. But that purpose was not fully realized until Jesus Christ came. So it's not saying that, uh, St. Augustine puts it best. He says that the Old Testament is a New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In other words, the idea that the Gentiles are going to be fellow members of this new Israel in Jesus Christ was not explicitly stated in the Old Testament, but it was hinted at. The seeds of that idea were there. But they weren't, all those little seeds were not given full bloom until the New Testament when Jesus Christ reveals the fullness of God's plan. And so Paul says, in the in light of Jesus Christ, God has revealed to me that all of those little plot points, those little seeds of ideas have come to full bloom in Jesus Christ. And that's the message that Paul has to bring. Hey, the Gentiles by faith are now part of God's people. And this is something that has been fully revealed now that was only partially revealed before. Now listen to verse 7 through 13. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul says the gospel is a message that God by his grace has made me a minister of. So so his actual office as an apostle is a gift of grace that God works through him, that he himself is God's love toward his people and that God's power works through him. And this is the irony. Remember, Paul's past was he was a religious zealot. He was a Pharisee. He had persecuted the church. He was very strong in his ethnic Jewish identity. And it's just the, it's just it just seems to be like God that God would choose that kind of a person to be now his missionary of the church, one of the greatest church planters in the world, one of the greatest Christian evangelists in the world to ever live, to now preach to the Gentiles that they're included in God's family now. And he says that he's the least of all the saints because of that. Paul isn't the guy that you would pick. He's not the A squad of who you'd pick to go across cultures to preach the gospel. And yet that's exactly what God does to manifest his power, to bring the light for everyone, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, how, where, where is ground zero of the revelation of this mystery that Gentiles are fellow heirs, that God in Christ has broken down these barriers and made a new humanity of Jew and Gentile? Where does it happen? Well, he says it's in the church, that in the church, God's manifold wisdom is displayed to spiritual authorities in heavenly places and earthly authorities to the world, that the whole world is going to see the work of God manifested in the church. And this is the eternal purpose that God realized in Christ. That in Christ, Jew and Gentile have bold access and confidence to God. To have faith in God. To trust Him for His promises. And so Paul is amped up about this. He wants the Gentiles to know you can have God as your Father. You can come in confidence before the throne of God as fellow heirs and citizens with Jewish Christians because of the work of Christ. And he wants to get this news out everywhere. So Paul is animated by this call to reach Gentiles for the gospel. And this is what leads to his 
prayer, which finishes off chapter three. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer leads, or rather, Paul's theology leads to prayer. For this reason, because God has given me this call to the Gentiles, because God's concern is global, I bow my knees before the Father, and notice what he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So so God is the creator of all peoples. That doesn't mean that all people are saved, or that all people are are God's uh, children in the sense of being his saved children, but it is saying that all humanity finds their origin point in the creation uh, in, in, in the creative purposes of God. And that God has a worldwide mission that he wants to accomplish. And that according to the riches of his glory, he's going to strengthen the church in their inner being, right? in their will, in, in the thing that is the captain of their actions and their thoughts. That God is going to externally, by his spirit, create an internal change that strengthens us. And as the spirit strengthens us, what does he do? What, how do we know that the spirit is strengthening us? It's not this, you know, kind of crazy, you know, emotional experience or doing all these things. What happens? Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, that we're rooted and grounded in his love. And that as the church with all the saints, as a corporate thing, not just you by yourself, we can comprehend the length, height, depth, and breadth of the love of Christ. And it surpasses knowledge that we can never know the depths of Christ's love. It's this eternal continuing of growing in the knowledge of this love. And as we are filled with knowledge, we are filled with the fullness of God. Sometimes knowledge gets a bad rap, but the reality is knowledge isn't just knowing facts. Knowledge is is those facts gripping a hold of you. If you think about it, when you contemplate the character of God, his eternal goodness, his eternal justice, his eternal righteousness, his eternal uh, unchanging characteristic, uh, and, and you see how Jesus Christ reveals the Father and you realize the compassion he has for sinners. When you realize all these attributes of God, his holiness, his grandeur, that actually leads you to have a, a deeper sense of God's love. I, I don't think these remain merely as facts in our head. I think if they remain merely as facts, we actually haven't thought enough about it. So let's not pit knowledge as if, the, of course, knowledge can puff up and make us disconnected from the truth. But knowledge in itself is necessary. We need to have good theology. We need to understand who God is. And we need to contemplate that and and turn those into prayers and have those inform our lives. So let's not have an anti-intellectual bent. Let's not have an anti-knowledge bent by thinking it's somehow uh, destroying our devotional life. But here Paul says, no, actually this knowledge corporately as the saints all recognize this true doctrine about who Jesus Christ is will grow to know the love of Christ and be rooted in the love of Christ. And God will fill the church with his love as we know him. And I love how he ends. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations 
forever and ever. Amen. All right. Paul says, basically, if, if God has been so powerful in working in us before our salvation, in our salvation, how will we not be powerful in our future? If God has been faithful before, how will we not be faithful in the future? And, and we don't even know the ways he's going to show up in his power and in his faithfulness. And there's this kind of awe that God is working in the church. And even though it may seem crazy right now, God's going to do more than we ask or think. And, and he's going to receive glory from it. But this more it probably isn't going to come in, in, in terms of political power or riches or material wealth. Though those are all great blessings. But we want to be what Luther calls a theologians of the cross. People that recognize that God's idea of glory is different than ours. It's cross-shaped. It's self-sacrificial. It, it, it is not a glory of man, but a glory that is revealed in the suffering of Jesus Christ. That through his death comes resurrection. And we have to remember that. That the great works God will do may not come in the categories that we inherit from the world. Of flash and, and power and fame and celebrity and all these things. It may come through humble obedience at a local level in our local churches serving one another by the power of the Spirit. Thanks for listening to this. Make sure you leave a review. Share this with your friends. And we hope to be back with you next week.